This is the flight director beginning launch status check. CLCDR checking all stations are manned and the system is ready. Give me a go, no go. Talker? Roger, Houston. FSC? That is a go. Capcom? Oh, Navigation? Uh, navigation? Oh, uh, uh... Don't, don't worry about that, we're just gonna... Wait, 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 what, 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 Welcome back to Space Castle. It's your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. My name's DT. My name's Alex. And I'm Seth. With the Doppler effect. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I came running into the room, guys. Sorry, I was late. That's all right. Everything all right? Everything's good? I mean, no. I have gestures broadly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just speak in italics with asterisks? Yeah, it's important. <laughs> this, is, this is an audio medium. <laughs> We just get meme speak now. So, <laughs> so gestures broadly. <laughs> Gentlemen, last week we talked about urban myths and legends in video games. And that episode has actually been very well received. It was a lot of fun to do. People are responding to it. We briefly touched on the subject of satanic panic in regards to Dungeons and Dragons, all the myths and bullshit surrounding that. We all agreed that we needed to touch on that a little bit more. Yes. And just keep touching it and just light some candles, put on some romantic music, and draw a pentagram on the ground, and sacrifice a goat. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we're going to be talking about Dungeons & Dragons in relation to the satanic panic sort of situation that occurred in the 80s into the early 90s. That's what really kicked off my whole life. Holy shit, were were you summoned in a a seance or like a ritualistic sacrifice? Yeah, it's, it's a little known fact the satanic panic was actually leading to to my birthing, but I don't really want to get into it. Are you it. Hellboy? <laughs> <laughs> I do have two normal-sized hands, so... Oh. Is there a Ron Perlman in there? Is there a little David Harbour? Anyway, speaking of David Harbour and, and Stranger Things, that's where all <laughs> this is coming from. At least the resurgence of satan- satanic panic, anyway. I still haven't seen seasons uh, two, three, or four of Stranger Things, so... You got to get on that, son. I'm busy. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you, <laughs> you've seen season one, though, and you can kind of extrapolate. Like, I, Yeah, and I love season one. I do like the show. I just, I, I, that was not a joke. I'm just busy. In season four of Stranger Things, what happens is a Dungeons and Dragons sort of club in the, in the kids' high school is formed, and they're having a good time, and bad shit starts happening. And the natural sort of reaction to it is for a small town in the Midwest to blame the Dungeons and Dragons players because... Everybody in the 80s thought that Dungeons and Dragons made you worship Satan and kill yourself and kill your friends and kill small animals and try and summon demons. And nobody realized it was just a really fun board game for a bunch of fucking harmless nerds. It became a, a way for fundamentalists to sort of write off D&D because they didn't know what their kids were doing and they were confused. Yeah. From what I understand, there was a, like a college kid in... Like Michigan, that went missing in the steam tunnels underneath the school. Yeah. So in 1979, James Stiles Egbert disappeared, allegedly disappeared in some utility tunnels, like Alex said, uh, underneath Michigan State University. His parents hired an investigator to find out where he was. The investigator found out that he liked to play Dungeons and Dragons. And this became a whole weird fucking speculation where he disappeared into the tunnels to go play Dungeons and Dragons. It, it was a bunch of weird malarkey bullshit. 
what I found interesting about this whole idea was that it was like a single point event that kicked off the entire idea and it snowballed from there. The disappearance and then subsequent finding of a just fine and alive James Egbert kicked off this whole thing. He just ran away, right? Like, <laughs> I think he, he just like ran away to a different state. He just, he just went away. In preparation for this, because uh, we knew we were going to do Satanic Panic after last week's episode, I, I watched an interview with William Deere, the private eye, and he talks about this whole situation. And man, it is, it does not put him in a very good light. He basically was a private eye. Like, long story short, family hired him to find this missing kid. And he went to the, the kid's dorm room and saw just a single bookshelf that was full of D&D manuals uh, and modules and stuff. And then he saw a corkboard with thumbtacks on it. And there was a group of thumbtacks in the corner that he said, literally, he said he saw that and he thought that it looked like the floor plan for the steam tunnels that were underneath the school. Oh, boy. <laughs> he just made that decision. And that's it. He looked there, didn't find it, went home, and got a phone call three weeks later from someone that said he knew where James Egbert was. He saw him. So he flew to this other location, and he was just there. He just ran away. <laughs> but William Deere then wrote a book called The Dungeon Master, The Disappearance of James Egbert. And that book is why he was selling this story so hard, and that snowballed the entire media frenzy. Did it come out that James Dallas Egbert just ran away from home, essentially? after the book came out or did he still go ahead and publish the fucking book after Egbert had been found and there was nothing to do with the tunnels that one fucking hilarious yeah. <laughs> and he he never like hid that William Deere never hid that he just like came to the conclusion of those tunnels in the book in his interviews he's always said that like he just thought that it looked like the tunnels so that's where he started his investigation but as with is so often in the media nobody fucking cared <laughs> <laughs> they just latched onto it like a an impetus for this satanic panic that's snowballed from there. But the real question is, can we play a live action D&D campaign one-off in some steam tunnels? Because that sounds awesome. Fucking A, yeah. I want to do some urban exploration and go play Dungeons and Dragons like an abandoned fucking warehouse or something. That sounds amazing. Let's do it. We once did a Zelda-themed like adventure party thing in a warehouse. That was cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was dope. It was like an escape room, but not quite an escape room. It was more like a group puzzle thing. It was okay. <laughs> I really like how you turn you turn yourself out of that one in one single sentence. That, yeah, it was dope. It was like this puzzle room that was actually not really like a puzzle room. It was like a puzzle. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had NPCs that you had to interact with. Which was the thing that threw it off. Like they had some NPCs that were real humans, that actors that were hired and you had to go and talk to them and they'd kind of like give hints to some people and to others, they'd be like, I don't know. And then say the same line over again and you'd have to go and figure out something else. I'm remembering it vividly now and it actually kind of sucked. <laughs> he turned it all the way around, baby. Like I said, the concept is cool. <laughs> Execution poor. Yeah, the concept was great. Yeah. The puzzles, we got hung up on one puzzle and it was, it was shitty. Because it was it was like a literal, like too literal solution to the puzzle we all got hung up on. And a lot of people got hung up on it. And then after it was all over, the winners got uh, Master Sword replicas. That's dope. But it was one per table. So you had six people at a table and only one person from every group that finished the puzzle got to take home a Master Sword. It was kind of shitty. Uh, yeah, that's less dope. Yeah. Here's a question that's unrelated to that, but is related to our topic. 
What is Netflix's obsession with Satanic Panic? Because we're getting this resurgence, but Netflix seems to be at the helm. And I'm I'm talking about Riverdale. It had a full season, maybe multiple on this, on on what they call G&G. Wait, wait, wait. Was, was Satan in Riverdale? I never watched it. It was basically what Stranger Things just did, but before that. And it was it was a bunch of high school students that got caught up in doing a live action sort of D&D that they called G&G, which was something in Gargoyles. And then Stranger Things did it. There's also a bunch of like tangentially related Sabrina, which is kind of related to Riverdale. They they cross over. You know, the Archie comics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucifer is on Netflix. There's some uh, intriguing <laughs> things happening with Netflix. Sandman. Sandman. Yeah. Sandman. Sandman just came out, and that deals heavily with heaven and hell. And, and Lucifer, actually played by Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones, and she's magnificent in it. There's a lot of Satan on Netflix. You're right. Maybe Satan is the one who's responsible for all their price increases. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Satan as in the billionaire telecom owner, not the guy who runs hell. That's a different Satan. Joseph Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Esquire. Esquire. <laughs> oh, you know Satan's a lawyer. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely an ambulance chaser. Certainly working in accident law. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the wild thing for me with all the satanic panic stuff is that like it just all it took was looking at the cover art on some modules and parents were like, Lord, help us. Our child is worshiping Satan. And in reality, it's it just it's so much further. It's such a departure from the truth. I have a fully adult friend who I wanted to invite to play D&D with us who grew up in a kind of not super fundamentalist or strict Christian home, but he, he had kind of grown up around it and was still a church-going guy. But I was like, look, dude, it, D&D is, is not satanic. It's not like drawing pentagrams and chalk on the ground, light as a feather, stiff as a board, craft legacy squared or whatever. You're just, you're rolling dice, you're having fun with your friends and you're telling a story. But he was like, nah, there's, it's like too occulty. Same guy had an issue with the Dresden Files books when I, when I pitched those to him. Which I I thought was was interesting because Dresden is a is a wizard is a practitioner of the occult and deals with every monster in the monster manual essentially over the course of the seventeen books that Jim Butcher has written. However, he has like a very deep respect for even Christian lore in his books. Harry Dresden's best friend in the books is a sword wielding paladin essentially who who is a knight of the cross who wields a sword that is made from one of the nails from the cross. He has a inherent power of faith about him, which interacts and corresponds with Harry's own power, but is totally separate and distinct. And he's able to be respectful of people who maybe practice uh, witchcraft and people who are religious on the like Catholic or Christian side, which is really fascinating. So there's a way to go about it. And I think Jim Butcher is a great example of how to do it right. What I think is really funny is this satanic panic really highlights the willful ignorance of this kind of movement because Gary Gygax was religious yeah. vehemently and Dungeons and Dragons as a point was good triumphing over evil. Like that was like the point and people were like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> this is about Satanism. You're right. Willful ignorance is a good way to put it. It's 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 the same thing we see in politics today. It's like I'm gonna apply whatever seems to fit with my agenda and just uh, mask over the the actual facts of the matter. Yeah. Because 
it's it's funny because if you sat many people who make that that argument down, you didn't tell them what you were doing, but like let me let me tell you about this storytelling dice game that we're gonna play instead of Pinochle this week, and you just started playing D anD D, they would have no idea, you know. It'd be a blast. It doesn't have to be about you know demons and dragons and all that stuff either. Like it it can be about whatever, which is kind of the joy of the whole thing. I think it has to do with willful ignorance, and I think it also has to do largely with. Uh, not taking responsible for your own shitty parenting and being a shitty parent. Yeah, that's an important one too. Because, I mean, there was like Patricia Pulling, and she was a one-woman like group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. So her son committed suicide, and she decided, oh, it must have been those goddamn dungeons and those goddamn dragons what made my son kill himself because it was Satan. And she went on this absolute fucking crusade, like striking out against Dungeons and Dragons and filing all kinds of fucking lawsuits and saying that Dungeons and Dragons like corrupted her son and made him kill himself. That's rough. It had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. The kid was just terribly depressed, I think, and he just killed himself. But she couldn't accept her own bad parenting, her own like awareness of what was going on with her son's life. And after he died, it just broke her. And in Dungeons and Dragons just became a fucking scapegoat. And I think it became a really easy scapegoat for a lot of people like Patricia Poling, who just couldn't deal with what was going on in their lives, couldn't take responsibility for their own actions and their own bad parenting. And it became an easy out for them to blame what was going on with their kids, good and bad, on, on some external stimulus. Humans strive to have a reason for things. We need to have like a reason for things to happen. We don't like shit can just happen for no reason. Like that, it doesn't sit in our brains so like we are always trying to find a reason for why you're depressed or you know why you won the lottery we always want the reason and i like i get that urge but it's frustrating when that comes out as like a false sort of goose chase when it manifests in an us versus them immediately and that's what's unfortunate and they, they explore that in, in stranger things uh, without getting into too many spoilers it's like thank you are you are you us or them and that's really what it comes down to is as soon as you say yeah i've i've played dungeons and dragons if you have that misconception you've immediately been lumped in and labeled which is just terrible i mean we're getting into just general how to shitty people operate which is just immediately labeling somebody and then uh making opinions about them based on your preconceived notions without knowing them but yeah anyway i do i want to change gears a little bit here and give you guys what i think might be a hot take are you ready dungeons and dragons is about satanism no <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i do not think any of us would know about or play Dungeons and Dragons if it wasn't for Satanic Panic. Uh, I don't know about that. I'll give you a reason why. Let me hit you with this. Hit me with it. After William Deere's book came out, it's the only reason that D&D went mainstream. Here's your sales numbers. 1977, the year after it was invented, they sold $0.6 million worth of Dungeons and Dragons. It became like a real product, started selling it. They made six hundred grand that year. 1978, made a million dollars. 1979, made $1.3 million. Book came out, 1980, $8.7 million. Wow, big jump. Well, I, I think you're onto something there. I'm sure that the whole satanic panic thing lent to It brought itself. it from obscure to mainstream. Yeah, it became like a novelty thing. Well, more so than it was already, but people were curious and wanted to know if it had to do with Satanism. 
and wanted to be, I'm sure a lot of kids just wanted to rebel too. Like, fuck you, mom and dad. I'm going to go play Dungeons and Dragons and collect gold and shoot arrows and just be a fucking nerd. But no, you're right. It absolutely had the opposite effect that all these, these crazy fucking parents intended it to have, wherein their kids were more drawn to it. It's like alcohol and drugs. If you make alcohol and drugs and, and sex like incredibly taboo and a terrifying thing in your household, the first thing your kids are going to do when they get out of that house is go, go try all that shit and see what's so scary about it. Yeah. And then you had assholes like Jack Chick back in the 1980s, who was a famous American comic strip artist who absolutely fucking capitalized on the satanic panic thing by putting out his Dark Dungeons a series of comics he put out where it was about a bunch of kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. If somebody like died in Dungeons and Dragons because they didn't like you, like the dungeon master killed you, like all of a sudden you didn't exist anymore and you were excommunicated. Oh, wow. They drove all these kids to be super fucking intensely like obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons because they didn't want to lose their friends. This was a comic book strip? Yeah. Oh, dude, Jack Chick was an absolute fucking lunatic. He, he was until like 2016 where he mercifully died. <laughs> and I don't ever talk bad about the dead, but that man was an absolute fucking monster and just a psychopath and just a fucking opportunist who saw an opening to make a bunch of money gain a bunch of notoriety by doing these Dungeons and Dragons comic strips. But he was a massive, massive engine for feeding the satanic panic phenomenon. But yeah, no, it turns out all these kids who were playing Dungeons and Dragons in his comic strips actually were part of an occult like circle, like trying to like summon Satan and do all this stupid <laughs> shit. And the comic spread like not quite like wildfire, but it just fueled the, f- the, the flames of all these parents who thought that this is actually going on. And that's what Dungeons and Dragons was all about. The guy was just a fucking piece of shit, like an absolute just fake, like opportunistic motherfucker. Like, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't actually go into politics, to be honest. <laughs> but no, I mean, just as much as it was people like looking for a scapegoat because they couldn't understand why their kids had died or something. There was just as many people out there trying to capitalize it and make money off of it, too, and, and just perpetuate the, the myth and the fear, which is completely unfounded. It's the American dream, it seems. Yeah. Those book sales may have contributed, but like. It's causation versus correlation. Like at the end of the day, would it have expanded without all of that? Maybe not as aggressively, but I think we'd still be playing it today potentially. You know, because you get that story, you get the book, you also get Mazes and Monsters, a young Tom Hanks, you get other media that is also talking about it. I don't think we would have. Maybe not those movies in, in particular, but I think we, we could have. Not would have, but we could have eventually. Maybe it wouldn't have had the same stigma, you know? There is something to the argument that it was a little bit counterculture. Yeah, totally. Take a look at the the correspondence of Hot Topic sales and punk bands releasing new albums. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's there's something to be said about like this and that. And is are they related? Yeah, potentially. I think Hot Topic is a pretty good corollary actually, because like Dungeons and Dragons moving from obscure to less obscure to mainstream to now everybody just talks and plays it like it's a normal thing. Same thing happened with Hot Topic. It went from like a underground counterculture sort of thing to now the disney store but in black yeah or even something a little less obscure like comic books where back when i was a kid like you got made fun of for wearing an avengers t-shirt or being into iron man who nobody knew existed and shit like that and now it's like marvel is like the biggest property on the fucking planet everybody fucking loves marvel all of a sudden in more ways than one it turns out the Rush 2112 was very prophetic. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we knew that already. <laughs> I wonder how much uh, 5e had to do with the resurgence of D&D. Because I, th- I think it truly made much more accessible. Fourth edition was 
was on the decline. It's unfortunate that immediately, instead of making it more of like a casual and, and a much more true reflection of what it is in, in reality, a lot of these media companies like Netflix and writers, excuse me, a lot of writers are just jumping straight into, uh, oh, uh, what do I do with D&D? I want that as the backdrop. I'm going to break out the inherent conflict and history of it, which is this like weird, dark stain instead of talking about the, the cool things that it can do. I'm ready for that story. I'm ready for the the cooler version of how D&D is helping people. And go with me on a journey. I am a huge solar punk advocate. Anybody who talks to me knows that. Like, that's my, my jam. And if you don't know what solar punk is, you probably know what cyberpunk is, right? It's a really terrible video game that came out a couple of years ago and was unfinished and pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah. We've argued about this before. It still sucks. Uh, it was a great video game no. that you tried to play on a PlayStation 4. I tried to play it on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. It's still shit. Oh, man. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that at a later date. <laughs> Cyberpunk is like a dystopian corporate future sort of hellscape, right? Blade Runner, there, there's lots of like cyberpunk sort of things. Solarpunk is kind of the moral opposite of that, where a similar level of like technological advancement and things, but it's hopeful. It is about like sustainable futures using tech instead of corporate profits. Maybe a more relatable touchstone is, is Tomorrowland from Disney. If you think back of like what Tomorrowland was supposed to be, it's just like gorgeous, like streamlined city super high tech surrounded by like fields and like it's very picturesque and gorgeous that's that's kind of what solar punk is about so i'm a huge advocate of solar punk and we will talk about this probably for the rest of my life uh here's your analogy stranger things is the cyberpunk DD show i want the solar punk version where it's a show about kids you know, playing D&D, but they're, they go on these, like, story and adventures. Like, this show is about the actual, like, live-action events of their campaign, but it's, like, hopeful and not sad and scary. Do they still kill people? Maybe. Maybe it's... They go on, like, fucking sci-fi adventures. Maybe it's uh, a reproduction of fucking uh, Monty Python in Search for the Holy Grail. Like, I don't know. I want, like, a fun version, not, like, a horror version. Sounds boring. <laughs> he wants uh, like an 80s movie with the feel goods of Ted Lasso and the backdrop of a solar punk environment. <laughs> I want the Dungeons and Dragons show that is about the positive aspects of Dungeons and Dragons and not the scary ones. So you kind of want like Goonies where it's mostly upbeat and adventurous and fun and silly, but there's no actual like existential dread and fear and people getting murdered brutally. It's just, you know. The villains are kind of slapsticky and silly and goofy, but the kids still are going on like a fun adventure. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't want like a watered down Disney version. People can get murdered and there's lots of existentialism and stuff, but like it's, it's ultimately a hopeful view of the future, not a dystopian one. What's the conflict then? The conf you can still have conflict. There's still people like there's still conflict and murder and mystery and stuff, but it's, it's an ultimate goal. I want a show that is about D&D, similar to Stranger Things, where D&D is like the backdrop, and they're kind of playing out in situ the sort of conflicts and monsters and stories of their D&D world. But instead of it being a horror one, I want to like fucking give me some cool, fun sci-fi. 
instead. Give me just like a different type of show. He just wants a, a story that doesn't go for the cheap storyline, which is the satanic panic or the uh, American-Russian conflict. <laughs> I want the not satanic panic version. Yeah, I want like a more interesting version of that. I could see it. I'd watch it. I'd, I'd, I'd give it, it a try. Yeah, well, if I've learned anything about DT and his uh, visual mediums, that's about the best I could hope for. <laughs> yeah, I gave it four or five episodes before I gave up on it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that's more than Kenobi. Uh, yeah, fuck Kenobi. Or Loki. Sorry. That show was terrible. We can talk about that in a later date. Or Boba Fett. Boba Fett was bad. That was just, I'm sorry, that was straight up fucking bad. The only good part about Boba Fett was the episode where there was no fucking Boba Fett and it was just like a top tier episode of Mandalorian just thrown in there randomly for some fucking reason. That show is a goddamn disaster. It's all one story. All of Star Wars is one single story. I don't think it should be. Anyway. We'll talk, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it at some <laughs> point. We've opened the floodgates of Star Wars a few episodes back, so we're in it now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I miss fearing for my life and existential dread and... and feeling the cold grip of Satan on my shoulder and knowing that if my character dies, I'll probably kill myself too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize how fucking stupid that all sounds now? But goddamn, like yeah. in the 80s and 90s, like the satanic panic thing was like a real fucking thing. Like we had a PC very early on when I was a kid. Like my dad brought one home and we're actually going to talk about my dad in just a little bit. But he brought home a copy of Eye of the Beholder for the PC. And uh, it was a Dungeons and Dragons game. And he was super amped to play it. And I was like, oh, fuck. I don't know what Dungeons and Dragons is just yet. But it's a first-person perspective game where you're, like, killing monsters with swords and shit. Like, fuck, yeah. My mom was like, nope. I was like, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, we have a Nintendo. Like, I've been playing video games since I was literally born. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It'll make you kill yourself. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Obviously, I didn't say that because I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there was there was a little bit of an argument between my parents where my dad was like, dude, it's just a video game. Like, I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was in high school. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, a bunch of kids, when they played Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s and in the 90s, just a few years ago, they all went insane playing it. They got obsessed and they killed themselves. And my dad and I are like, no, that was not true ever. But it's amazing that the satanic panic was still prevalent and still lurking around up until, you know, the early to mid 90s where it affected me. Somebody who was born in 1983 who was too old to ever ever play Dungeons and Dragons back when all that was going on. And I was very much a latchkey kid. So me and my sister would walk home from school and she would go out and play and mom and dad would be at work until dinner time. So I would fucking play Eye of the Polder anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I never, I never got obsessed with it. I never tried to kill myself. I never got depressed because I was killing orcs and goblins and shit. Like it's the whole concept of satanic panic is just so fucking ludicrous and dumb and just like we said before, just spawn from ignorance and a lack of awareness and being aware of yourself and just a lack of responsibility was just an easy scapegoat because it was something that cropped up and became popular at the time. And anytime something becomes popular that's somewhat counterculture, be it Dungeons and Dragons or death metal or Nintendo or skateboarding, some fucking sect of society is going to see it as some sort of like root of all evil that's trying to corrupt the youth and like make them kill themselves and shit. It's fucking dumb. And we're never going to get away from it because every generation has their own satanic panic. It's fucking terrible. Just named like all of the things that I'm into. I'm not sure if that was an attack. Absolutely it was. We're worried about you, <laughs> Seth. This episode is actually an intervention because we're worried about you. I'd like a psychologist to, to hit us up on Twitter or whatever. Uh, send us an email at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. 
I want to know how or why this sort of thing happens. The satanic panic idea moved from a cultural zeitgeist, right? It was in the news. It was like the thing to talk about at the water cooler. And it moved into just part of the cultural lexicon into the 90s. We had the, the panic part in the 80s. And then in the 90s, people like DT's mom just knew D&D as a thing that made people kill themselves. Like, how did that happen? How did it move from this water cooler news cycle zeitgeisty thing into just part of the lexicon? I'd really like to know how that sort of thing happens. Because it gets shoved under the rug. I mean, like, I think initially it's caused by people taking their ideology and then fear mongering and saying, here's something that's uh, confusing and I don't know and is mysterious about this. And instead of investigating it further and bringing said dark shadowy thing into the light and saying, what does this actually look like? Is it something that I should be concerned about? They keep it in the corner, in the shadow and say, I don't like it over there. Don't go over there. And that's the ignorant way to go about it, as opposed to saying, let's take a look at this and address it. So it becomes a part of our lexicon in a negative way, instead of saying like, hey, all the people that have actually gone and done this, they, uh, they don't say anything about that. And instead, it's like totally fine. All the people who were burning Harry Potter books and never read them. Mm. <laughs> it's the same concept. That was, that was my version when I was a kid, was that I had to get a permission slip signed to read those books. And it was just my, my third grade teacher covering her ass, which was, you know, like, hey, I don't want to get any flack for this, so get it signed. But ultimately, like, it's just people with that idea fear-mongering and saying, that's a foreign thing and I don't want to address it instead of, how do I actually find out about this? If, if my kid comes to me later and says, hey, I want to watch this movie. Is it okay if I watch it? It's you know rated R or something. I'm going to watch it and let her know, yeah, that's okay or that's not okay. Like when I was a kid, I really wanted to watch The Mummy, but my mom thought I would get freaked out by it. The classic 1999 movie with Brendan Fraser? Yep. And when I went to go sit down and watch it, she, she had already seen it and she was like, okay, I know where you're going to get scared and we're going to talk about it. And when we went and watched the movie, we watched it together. And there were some scary bits where he like the mummy Imhotep comes up and he's like munching on scarabs and gets freaked out. And instead of being like, turn your head away, she's like, look how cool the special effects are. And, you know, there, there's a way to address things that are scary and unfamiliar and a, a good way to be a good role model and or parent and or member of your community. And that is to say, I actually don't know about this thing and I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to coach you about it once I find out. That's way too much work, Alex. Why would anybody want to do that? <sighs> Nobody asks why is the problem. You need to ask why. You're saying that D&D is making people kill themselves. Like, okay, why? How? Let's figure it out. Without getting into too much of the psychological background, some people aren't taught how to question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Critical thinking is not a uh, a skill that's entirely prevalent in at least 50% of society nowadays. <laughs> There's a large majority of people that are purposefully prevented from learning how to ask why, which is a different thing. But that's kind of what leads to this, is the, the, the ignorance part. And then when people are like, no, that's not actually how it is, instead of being, oh, well, explain it to me then, they're just like, no, fuck off. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> We're getting better at it now. Are we? Yeah, because we're, we're satirizing it. At least Stranger Things is taking this and saying, this is kind of a ridiculous thing, isn't it? Like our heroes are on the side of Hellfire Club, right? It's not, 
like Riverdale didn't quite do this. They, I think they botched it as far as thematically. But when you come to Stranger Things, they said, oh, look how ridiculous this is. And here are people who are proud and making, you know, Eddie Munson's doing devil horns and like, come on, he's making jokes and making a fool of everybody in the cafeteria. I think that we're falling on the, on a better side of it. You guys played Lords of Waterdeep, the board game? Yeah. It's, it's based on Dungeons and Dragons. So Waterdeep is, is a town in, in the, the Forgotten Realms. The Forgotten Realms, and thank you. And and I've I've played Lords of Waterdeep with priests who absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's great. There's no reason why you can't just like introduce it now and people are a little bit more open minded. I think these days we're we're coming to the other side of it where we're realizing that satanic panic was just a cultural panic and like now the the lexicon, the cultural lexicon is like, hey, this is just a fucking game. You can play it however you want. There, there's no causation involved in any of these weird things that happened. Like it's, it's just a fucking game. Now, as a culture, we're kind of realizing that in the last decade or so, I'd say, and it's, it's becoming unusual and taboo and weird for you to still think that D and D is some kind of satanic cult thing. It's been debunked culturally, basically. Well, now we have actual fucking cults to worry about, so, you know. <laughs> We've always had actual cults to worry about, friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, now about 50% of the country seems to be in a very large widespread cult, so yeah. our priorities have changed. We're no longer worried about nerds sitting in basements playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons rolling dice when we've got people out there with fucking tiki torches and storming the fucking national capital of the United States of America because of yeah. some made-up fucking lie that everybody bought into. Anyway... I think what what I'm I'm hopeful for with with D and D is that it, the message seems to be switching from this former segmentation based on social sort of parameters, and now it's it's flipped and it's D and D is becoming a mechanism for inclusivity, which is wonderful, and accessibility as well. Like some of my favorite stories that I see on the internet about D and D are just how it's helping people with disabilities or um, social impairments or just like f- people who feel uncomfortable talking to other people. <laughs> Uh, and how they're able to inhabit the the mind and being of another person in D and D, and just like kind of get a feel for what their life would be like in a diff- in a different person's shoes, or feel the shield of that comfort of this isn't actually me, and I can explore what that feels like. It's much like novels. It's like reading books to get other perspectives. Now you can actually like participate in those other other perspectives a lot like video games too it's a way into a different way of seeing and interacting with a world it's great turns out it wasn't about killing yourself and worshiping satan it's become a community thing where people get together to tell stories and have a good time and meet new friends and include people that wouldn't necessarily be able to partake in other more physical activities and so forth and it's, it's interesting how that always happens, where something always comes out and it becomes scary because nobody fucking understands it, and parents shun it and form organizations to try and shut it down, and what it's actually doing is enriching their children's lives and making them more well-rounded people. Mm-hmm. You look at the metal community. You see a bunch of people wearing like fucking gothic makeup and having long hair and wearing spikes and shit and combat boots and going to shows and rocking out, and it turns out that all those fucking death metal heads are like the biggest sweethearts you'll ever meet in your life. And the entire metal thing is just one big inclusive community with people just taking care of each other and just like, like really enjoying one common interest. That's all this ever was. It's all it ever fucking is. Same with video games. People were worried that video games were going to rot people's minds and turn them into serial killers and shit. 
And it's not like some of the best friends I've ever had still to this day are people I met and play video games with on a regular basis. Yeah, it turns out that the the science says the video games actually tend to make you more empathetic and a better listener and faster interacting in decision making and more accurate in your decision making and all kinds of stuff. Turns out video games are pretty good for your brain. Exactly. Stop being afraid of everything without doing your fucking research and learning about it, please. Let's take a look at something that might scare you and see if it's actually something that's scary and dangerous. Or if it's actually something you just don't fucking understand and need to do your research on and realize that it's actually a beneficial thing for people. Because more often than not, it fucking is. Yeah, you know what you should be scared of? Ghosts. Climate change. Oh. Maybe maybe we should be scared of Goldblum with his DM screen. Uh, we should grab our character sheets and get ready for this. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's a TPK for sure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Step number one. Goldblum TPK. <laughs> that's, that's a trap, Alex. You should have seen it coming. <laughs> should we get to messages from Earth and then we'll come back with our Deep Space Recon and a listener question? Yeah, I'll roll for it. You guys can go. Okay. Wait, what if you roll a one? Are you not going to be there on the other side? <laughs> He's going to join you in the airlock. <laughs> All right, let's see what happens. Guys, I am not even joking. That is a natural 20. Straight let's, go. let's go. Let's go. I don't believe I, hey, you. look. You, we're on we're on video. I'm not I'm not fucking with this. The video is not showing the dice. <laughs> Guys, look, I've got a million dollars. I just found it underneath my chair. Wow. I'm I'm proving it to you motherfuckers. This is an audio medium. I'm proving it to you two. <laughs> What's that Florence Pugh? What? Oh, it's time for lunch. Oh, okay, great. Bye guys. I do not appreciate being so disrespected. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Dane Holland. It's a new STD, a sonic transmitted disease. <laughs> I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer. So it would be just a smushed mashed potato situation going on in my young adolescent crotch area. I'm Marcus Whitaker, known as I'm Electric Man. So instead of talking about how CERN is trying to open up a portal to hell and end the entire universe, I guess I'm just going to read jokes off the freaking internet. And I'm Austin Tiny Zen. Dr. Strange, he's circumcised because would you want to uncircumcise wizard? I don't think so. And if you'd like any of that to make any sense whatsoever, tune in to Nerd It Through the Grapevine, a podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture every Monday on Spotify, iTunes, and whatever your favorite app for podcast is. Come join us in the grapevine. Those are some excellent messages from Earth, as always. Lovely to hear. I'm really excited to hear about what DT's been doing exploring because I think he found an old friend, a current friend, somebody who's more than a friend who's family. Wait, tell me more. It's my dad. Who's <laughs> also also my friend. You found your dad. Congratulations. I found my dad. All these years in deep space searching and, and seeking and Googling and scanning with our space radar, I found my dad. And it, was, it wasn't David Hasselhoff, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs>
No, so my dad, my entire life has been really big into computers. Like I said before, he bought our first PC when I was very young. Uh, he was a gamer back before I was born. He actually worked in arcade for a number of years. He's the reason I love gaming. He's the reason I love a lot of things because he's just as much a nerd as I am. But uh, he got really into PC building, so building his own custom PCs, and that gave way towards building custom computer cases. What I mean by that is he will either build entirely from scratch out of various materials or go out and buy a, a stock computer tower and will modify it in various ways into a work of art. So he's done a number of things. He did a replica of Gene Simmons' platform boot from Kiss, and yes. it looks fucking dope. Yes. He did a case where it was like Mjolnir from uh, the Thor movies, stuck in like a pile of rock. Nice. He is actually currently working on a from scratch full like model of the Snowspeeder from Empire Strikes Back. And it's going to have like a mini PC like built inside of it, like in the engine components and shit. Yeah, so dope. He has done so much shit. He built a, a SpongeBob SquarePants custom PC that looks like SpongeBob himself sitting down for Arabian Prince from NWA, the famous rap group. And that led to them becoming friends. What? Yeah. So my, my dad's buddies with a member of NWA, which is fucking insane. <laughs> but so for crazy. a long time now, he's had a website called Modders Inc. It's M-O-D-D-E-R-I-N-C.com. And he does a lot of hardware reviews and PC builds. And he's built this community of computer like hardware reviewers and custom PC builders and creators. And the website is just filled with all this amazing artwork that people have created from either building everything from scratch and shoving a computer inside it or taking like a stock like prefab computer tower and turning it into something entirely different. So he has gone on to do like keynote speeches and be like a guest speaker at like QuakeCon and conventions like that. Um, he's had booths at various conventions and shit like that. He's been commissioned by a bunch of magazines and actual like game developers to do custom cases for their trade show appearances and giveaways on their websites and shit like that. Like he's worked with Bethesda, he's worked with ID. Uh, a few years back, he did like a replica of the nail box from Quake that came out absolutely fucking flawlessly perfect. And uh, that was actually a commission from Id and Bethesda for him to do that. So rad. And uh, he's a fucking badass. He's got a YouTube channel where he, you know, reviews hardware and also goes through the motions and shows you the step by step process of creating all the case mods he's done. He's just a fucking badass. And we haven't talked about him on this show up to this point, maybe only in passing. But I thought it was time that we finally talk about my dad, Dwayne Carroll, and his website and his company, Modders Inc., because my dad fucking rules. He's just fucking great. He is the coolest. He is totally the coolest dude. Yeah. Dwayne's a rad guy. I have been a huge fan of Modders Inc. for almost a decade now. Yeah. PC modding is kind of like my thing. And I still have, I was looking for it, but it's a, it's in storage. I still have the all of the CPU magazines, most of the of the print run of CPU magazine. And in several of them, uh, Modders Inc. has been featured. And I distinctly remember long before I met DT, I was a fan of, of his dad's work, like long before I met him. Yeah. And when, when I first found out that, uh, you know, DT's dad ran Modders Inc., I, I had this like flash. It's like, oh shit, I have magazines. And I, I pulled out CP Magazine and just read through old Modders Inc. articles and shit looking at, at these old case builds and it's like there's one of them that like inspired a case that i built and it's like it's just this weird full circle situation where it's like <laughs> small world <laughs> like yeah. i yeah i i've been a fan of his work for years and then 
I meet DT and he's like, yeah, this dude's my dad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hold the fuck on. Yeah, what? <laughs> he's a fucking rock star. He's been featured on magazine covers and he's had entire spreads done on his PC mods and builds and shit. Like he's yeah. fucking out of his it's mind. It's awesome. Hell, dude. Yeah. And, and he's a cool dude. I was going to say, and he's also an awesome guy who is responsible <laughs> for me being gainfully employed right now. <laughs> Thanks to him. Yeah. Uh, oh shit. That's right. Yeah. And he's. He's wholly responsible for me being the nerd I am today. Like any form of creativity I can claim to have entirely comes from him. Like he's an amazing artist, painter, obviously sculptor from all of his, his PC mods and whatnot, uh, sketch artist. Like the man's just a dynamo. He's fantastic. And I'm super proud of him. He's a, a magician with that foam, man. Like I don't know how he does it. Dude, for real. Yeah, I think right now he's working on a scale model of the AT-AT from Star Wars. He is, of course, the reason why I'm a fucking Star Wars nerd. Like, his birthday is literally the day A New Hope came out in theaters back in 1977. So it was like his 13th birthday or something. So he's a lifelong Star Wars fan, made me a lifelong Star Wars fan. And I've been watching him and it's like his white whale, like his magnum opus is this little like from scratch scale model of an AT-AT that he's going to like jam a fucking mini pc into yes. <laughs> and then his ultimate plan is to have like a like a scale model of a snow speeder like like flying around its fucking legs with the tow oh, cable, with the cable. And yeah that's yeah. bad and i've been watching him like it's one of those things where he doesn't fully commit to it it's one of his like side projects like one of his passion projects when he's not working on like a commission or some other project for modders inc so it's one of those things where i've just been very slowly watching a piece together just oh, I figured out how to do this. And he does it and he moves on to something else and he comes back to it and moves on to something else. And eventually someday he's going to do it and finish it. And once it's done, it's just going to be fucking spectacular. I cannot wait. Yep. I might be 50 by the time he finishes it, but <laughs> it'd be so worth it. It's kind of become a, a joke in our like Discord that like, yeah, we get it. Your dad's fucking cool. He's much cooler <laughs> than basically all of us. Like we get it. It's fine. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. I've tagged along with him to conventions like QuakeCon and shit. And they treat him like a fucking rock star. Like VIP passes. Yeah, and, he like, fucking runs Modders Inc., dude. I I was starstruck. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you awesome. mean? Of course they do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he's, like I said, he's become good friends with a member of NWA, like, He's played like, a round of basketball with a bunch of Playboy models at like VIP parties and shit. Like, <laughs> he's a rock star. It's awesome. Yeah, he's he's fucking cool, man. It's yeah, and his work is like it speaks for itself. Yeah, so check out my dad. He's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. He's on I don't know if he's on Instagram, but uh, he's got a website. It's modersinc.com with a hyphen in there. And uh, yeah, and his YouTube channel is excellent because he's fucking hilarious. I love him. <laughs> yeah, dude, Voyager warranty. It's like the the tagline. Yeah. Great. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. That it, frankly, shocked that we haven't talked about it. He is on yet. Instagram, FYI. <laughs> it's just Modders Inc., no hyphen. Okay, so he is. Well, I mean, he's technologically savvy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Of course, he's yeah, on he knows his stuff. Yeah. He is more cool than us. Like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the three of us combined, probably. <laughs> <laughs> do we have a listener question? We've got a listener question. We do. We've, we've always got one. This one is a nice, like, break from our satanic panic. This question comes to us from Angel. Thank you. Frankly, it's a bit existential, but that's kind of what we do here. Are you ready? Yeah. Lay it on us. What is your favorite kind of salt? The tears of people who still think The Last Jedi is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I like to I like to do a sheet, like a baking sheet of frozen French fries and throw a little like Lowry seasoning salt and some some like crisping spices on there and throw it in there. You know, 420 degrees for about 20 minutes. They come out nice and crispy. Take them out, put them on the on the stovetop there, and just sprinkle just, you know, that little vial I've got full of the tears of people who think The Last Jedi is a good movie. It's delicious. You know what's interesting here? Uh, I'm, I'm about to derail this shit. DT, you're a Lowry's guy over Johnny's? I like Lowry's, man. I like Lowry's. I'll throw Lowry's on some uh, asparagus, a little bit of olive oil and shit, too. Johnny's is better. Lowry, Lowry's sucks. Johnny's for the wind. Get wrecked, nerd. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That was> aggressive. <laughs> it it turns out it's not even it's not it's not Star Wars that's gonna cause a schism in our podcast. It's the seasoning salt, <laughs> the great seasoning salt war of 2022. <laughs> My favorite salt is the Himalayan salt lamp uh, that everybody had on their desk. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think I have Himalayan spicy salt in my cabinet. Actually, it's really good to cook with. If you need a little extra spice, that's pretty good. I I think my favorite salt is uh, like a little local one that we found here uh, at Pike Street Market. Just like some dude who made it in Idaho and drove to the the coast for it. It's a uh, ghost pepper infused Ooh, salt. That sounds tasty. It's pretty good, dude. I gotta be real with you. It is a little dangerous, but it's a cool process. He like distills a ghost pepper mash into like a ghost pepper essential oil basically and makes a, a brine a super heavy brine with this ghost pepper uh like alcohol and then lets the whole thing kind of dry out and solidify and then that makes this like literal ghost pepper salt what? that he you know then scrapes into a fucking shaker it's phenomenal for years, dude, I've been like a fried egg with some like habanero hot sauce on it. Fried egg, salt, pepper, hot sauce. Let me tell you boys how to level up into the professional tier. You just fry up an egg and you put some of this ghost pepper salt on it and call it a day. That's it. Fuck. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I leveled up my cooking game when I realized that coarse salt was a thing. Mm. Dude, flaky salt. Oh man! Even classic Morton's just like throw some coarse salt instead of the tiny granulated stuff. Yeah, fuck powdered salt. No, that's the worst kind of salt. Is powdered salt? It's awful. Yeah, you need that coarse like sea salt, crackly. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys have never had it before, get Malden flake salt. Malden does this process that ends up with these massive like snowflakes of salt that are like pyramidal shape. Oh boy. Crunching into one of those on top of like a steak or something mm. is life changing. I'm a sodium fiend and I'm just getting hungry now. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, it's it's about lunchtime here. I think I might just eat like a few spoonfuls of salt and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! What are you fasting? Uh, that's like that's a that's a thing. Electrolytes, baby, you need them. I've been drinking this morning, so I need some electrolytes. Do yourself a favor. Hop on Amazon and and buy one of those five dollar little boxes of Malden flaking salt, your life will get better. I will. Wise words from Seth. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Free advertising. <laughs> it's great. It will change your life. They are not a sponsor yet. Our show is salty, but not in that way yet. <laughs> They're not sponsoring. We're just trying to get them to. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of fucking hilarious for like a, a salt company to be a sponsor for a nerdy podcast like ours that are constantly arguing and debating about pop culture. Because we throw around enough of our own salt, yeah. 
Yeah, that would be so unbelievably fitting. I love it a lot. Then we skip right over Harry's shaving and uh, Audible and skip over BetterHelp and and, uh, Blue Apron and just go straight for salt. (laughs) Get that salt money, babe. That's where the the good ad bucks are. (laughs) Oh, man, that would be great. I would actually like to do a live reading of that that ad for salt because that would be a lot of fun. We should reach out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You want to be the first salt brand to sponsor a podcast? <laughs> it would be so... It would just... It would be so fitting. Like, how could you not? Because we're all a bunch of salty fucks anyway. Yeah. Hashtag get salty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sorry about it. Sounds like really aggressive, actually. It does, actually. I kind of dig it. It's like, oh, you don't, you don't like it? Get salty. Yeah, get salty, dude. I've, I'm fucking adopting that now. It's that's the new get wrecked. It's get salty. <laughs> yeah, get salty. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have hashtag get salty shirts on our merch store very shortly. That's just too fucking. It's good. It's happening now that I'm thinking about it. It seems so good. Like it's got to be a thing already. Is that already like a Gen X? Is that a Generation Alpha slang, Alex? Oh, I don't know. I'm not with it yet. Uh, I'll figure it out eventually. I'll let you know. I'll report back next week with a, a full presentation. All right. I expect the 23-page report on your desk by Monday. Don't worry. <laughs> with no purple prose and liberal use of the Oxford comma. Uh, no, that, yeah. that's me. That's, that is what I do. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm an advocate for both the Oxford comma and purple prose. I just got canceled by about half our listenership. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the listenership that's still alive after we played the the Lavender Town tune in last week's episode. Yeah. You know what I have to say about that? Hashtag get salty. <laughs> get salty. <laughs> uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. As always, it is your clubhouse knows for all things salty. My name is DT. My name's Red Wine and Snatch, Alex, part-time librarian, Winnebago Thief, Inverse Batman, Master and Space Commander, Molotov Donghammer, Bison Basher, Centaur Biologist. You're proving your mastery of your own names, man. That's impressive. <laughs> I think I got them all too. I'm I'm Seth. Salty Seth. <laughs> I'm not like a salty dude. No, you're not. Salty. Like what you like. No, you're very you're very <laughs> sweet and savory. Thanks. I think. <laughs> Bye. I love you. <laughs>